passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18. That makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind to Raw. It's John Pollock and waiting following. Raw tonight. How are you? Not bad, John. Yourself? Uh, do you want to start off with a trivia question? Okay. Who did Seth Rollins pin to win the title when he cashed in the Money in the Bank contract at WrestleMania 31? Uh, he pinned um, Roman Reigns? That was the answer up until tonight, because this was the number one moment in the history of Money in the Bank moments, and yet we saw Seth run to the ring, deliver a stomp to Brock Lesnar, the screen goes black as we hear the three count, and then Seth is holding up his title. There was not a sight of Roman Reigns in this video. Wow, that's really interesting. Um feel like I would have noticed that, except um, I, I admittedly skipped. I fast-forwarded through all that bullshit. Well, they fast-forwarded through Roman Reigns' career uh, in this uh, top 10 countdown. But, you know, we have it's been noticeable how they have not mentioned this man's name. But to see this, it was quite stunning to see, wow, this is the length that we are going to to avoid Roman Reigns' existence right now. How interesting. How interesting. Can you uh, maybe, wh- wh- what is your suggestion about the thought process behind that? I mean, it's, I, I don't know. I, I cannot possibly get into the headspace that is behind this, but obviously there is clearly a direction of no mention of Roman Reigns and apparently no even visual of Roman Reigns on the show. But it's, is it, what exactly is the point? Because I don't think. Omitting Roman Reigns from a, a moment like that will suddenly help the audience completely forget about this guy's existence. You don't just forget about people. No, now everyone's noticing and is yes, that much more worse. aware of him. Well, so, yeah. Huh. Why, why don't you watch this thing quickly? Oh, I can I can picture it in my head. Like you described it perfectly. Oh, you sent it to me? It's in just just, just watch this. Okay, I just want to okay, see, okay. you know, from your like it's All just right. such a WWE it's like it's just so bizarre. Okay, I'm gonna watch it right now. This is like 20 seconds. Here's uh, Seth Rollins running to the ramp. He's got a briefcase in his hand. I believe you and I were there. We were present for this yep. moment, weren't we? 
Uh, yep, there's Brock Lesnar laying face down in the ring. Here's Seth Rollins curb stomping Brock Lesnar. Nobody else in sight. Screen goes black, and Seth Rollins is now the WWE champion. Wow. Interesting. With a big blackout in the middle of to it. Be, to be fair, in the actual match itself, where was Roman Reigns? Uh, on the mat Wait a getting second, pinned? <laughs> yeah, you pinned him. You're right. Dude, he was underneath that Seth Rollins getting pinned. He did not pin Brock Lesnar. Yeah. So he was in the ring underneath, but why? what was the curb stomp, stomp to Brock Lesnar about then? To get rid of Brock. Oh, and then Roman came in afterwards? This is after. This is, this is where it, it becomes the three-way. Yeah. And then Brock is taken out of the match with the stomp. Yeah. And then Seth finishes the match pinning Roman Reigns. Oh, that's that's really strange. That's 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 worthy of conspiracy. Uh well, there there were just about uh however many thousand uh live witnesses, but I mean <laughs> us eyewitnesses, I guess better uh, try and remember this because uh, I'm afraid to go on the WWE Network and see what this match looks they like. They tried now. the Men in Black Roman Reigns here. They tried to use the Men in Black pen here on Roman Reigns. Come on, yep. can you believe this? I mean, listen, all this is is interesting discussion, but it really does call into question when they expect Roman Reigns to come back. It's got to be. I mean, I imagine he's he's gone indefinitely. I don't think they would be going to these lengths uh to i mean it's one thing when you don't hear his name being mentioned i mean you can at least uh you know you can notice it because it's wwe and you notice everything when it's intentional but at the same time he's not involved in anything he's not in a story so why bring him up when you don't know when he's coming back but this it's like this is like crossing that line into this man doesn't exist now it's really strange yeah um I guess you figure, okay, let's let's say Roman Reigns is not expected to come back for several months. You know, he, he is immunocompromised and will continue to be as long as the coronavirus exists in this world and we don't have a vaccine. Um I feel like that's 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 still no reason to wipe the guy out from history, is it? If anything, you would want to remember him even more. You're you know, you want to tell people, hey, this is somebody who gave a great deal of his life to this industry and we choose to uh memorize uh keep his memory alive by you know keep keeping him in clips like this it it does not seem like okay the the all i'm saying is is there more is there more is there any quote-unquote heat for roman reigns skipping out on something like wrestlemania well, I, I watch this, and I mean, you could you could probably draw that conclusion. I mean, if I if you were Roman Reigns watching this at home, would your reaction be, "Oh, what a great video package"? Um, what message no. do you take from that? Yeah, I don't. I I I mean, I'm I can't really speak for the man, but um, certainly it would be intriguing. Yes. Hmm. So that was one note from Raw, and I guess we can. Uh, Move on into uh, some other topics as well. Uh, off the top, I do want to mention that up now at store.postwrestling.com, we have not one, but two brand new t-shirts coming from our design king, Robert Pearson, who very much exists in post wrestling's history. Yeah, there's no uh, you know sudden black, fade to black here. Uh, yes, a brand new t-shirt up at store.postwrestling.com. This one for post pro this is true. You can go purchase this shirt now and 
show your love for Post Pro Res with a new show that is up uh, that just went up on Sunday with myself and WH Park featuring uh, all the latest news going on in Japan, a review of the great Sasuke documentary, and some announcements. We're doing a theme song contest and uh, and we're going to be doing a big show next month. So I, you can go check all of that out. I cannot wait for this theme song contest. And and um, only two rules. Yeah. No chimes and no flutes per WH Park. Well, I mean, just I, I imagine it, it to be incredibly difficult to resist <laughs> the use of chimes or uh, gongs and all that. But nonetheless, I, I really look forward to seeing some of these responses. When is the deadline? Uh, we, we've made it for the end of May. So there's a thread up on the forum. You can go check that out. We're asking for submissions to be uh, no longer than 45 seconds. So try and keep them brief and... You, we'll see. We'll see if there, this gets a successful response. Do you guys specify, uh, you know, preferred pronunciation of P-U-R-O-R-E-S-U? Nope. Whatever you want. <laughs> All right. Perez is welcome. What, whatever. We, we'll, we'll see what everyone comes up with. Oh, that's very exciting. And again, store.postwrestling.com for that t-shirt. Uh, it's a beautiful, lovely design. Robert Pearson has just been knocking it out of the park with all of these. A uh, few... Items and notes, uh, a rather busy week coming up this week at Post Wrestling. On Tuesday night, we're back with our Ask Away mailbag show. It's our monthly dive into the mailbag for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. I have seen the numbers. They seem to have uh, escalated significantly. So we have a lot of questions to go through on Tuesday night. A lot. Yeah, we'll probably be here for five hours. Oh, boy. We are going to be doing uh, several shows this week in relation to UFC 249 because, yes, there's a UFC event this Saturday. So Phil and I are going to do a preview on Wednesday and chat about uh, all the topics about this uh, this return by the UFC. And then we will be going up with a show Saturday night uh, after the UFC card. And I believe that Phil, he'll have more details of this on Wednesday, but I believe he's going to be running the Discord while the pay-per-view is happening on Saturday. So – uh, it should be a wild night of uh, of fun led by Phil Chair Talk. But tune in Wednesday. We'll have more details about uh, his big party that he has planned. Phil, as well uh, as well as Eric Marcote, they'll be in the Discord chat room uh, watching two, USC two forty nine along with everybody. So it's it's it'll be a it's a great place for people to just like watch along with other people. You can do voice chats. Uh, you can just do regular text based chat. And that again, uh, you can find the link at by going to postwrestling.com. Uh, on Thursday, we've got the Cafe Hangout live at 3 p.m. Eastern Time for all patrons to tune in live. We'll be taking your phone calls. We've got Rewind to SmackDown on Friday night, which will also include our review of the Herb Abrams edition of Dark Side of the Ring. This episode is just going to be nuts. Well, I haven't seen it yet. And to be quite honest, I don't know much about this topic. So I'm kind of going into this one pretty cold. Yeah, I think that... I'm sure some people have heard the name Herb Abrams, but I would imagine many are going to be learning about him for the first time on this documentary. Uh, this is among the most insane individuals to ever come into contact with professional wrestling. And I would definitely steer you um, towards um, the Between the Sheets podcast. They did they did two shows on the life of the UWF and Herb Abrams, and they have put up both their shows uh back-to-back that they've made available. Uh, And it's like six-plus hours on Herb Abrams. And that will certainly give you uh, (laughs) just one of so many stories uh, of Herb Abrams, okay? When he launched the UWF, okay, 
he announced uh, among the names that would be part of the UWF. This was in, I believe this was summer of 1989 at John Arezzi's fan convention. He said among the names that he was going to be bringing in uh, Blackjack Mulligan to book. And among the wrestlers, uh, Bruiser Brody would be part of the UWF. Now, Blackjack Mulligan was in jail at the time. Bruiser Brody had died a year earlier. And this, this would not even rank in the top, I would say, 15 stories involving Herb Abrams. So a absolutely insane story is coming out Tuesday night on Dark Side of the Ring. So uh, we will review that on Friday night on Rewind to SmackDown. Saturday, we've got the UFC 249 post show. And then Sunday, it's the Money in the Bank post show with myself and Way. We're going to be going live for our double-double espresso and uh, ice cap patrons. So you can look forward to that coming up Sunday night after Money in the Bank. If And we will find out if the risk was worth the reward. Yes, we shall find out. Yes. Uh, and the show is go- going to be live for those particular patrons, but it'll be available and free for everybody after the fact, just as usual. Uh, as well, if you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, you also get a bonus review this weekend at some point of the latest editions of the the hottest show, John, of the current, this, you know, just... The the only wrestling show to see growth at this point. The 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 wrestling show that is immune to the coronavirus, and that is of course season five of the Total Bellas, where me and Pauline will come back and de- deliver a bonus review sometime on the Post Wrestling Cafe this weekend. So that's those are uh, our feeds uh, for you and I, John. But I also wanted to mention that up next tomorrow on their feed. Usually they do a monthly Star Wars review where, where they've gone back and pretty much have gone through um, the entire Skywalker saga, uh, except for the last film. So if you want to go back and catch up on all that, you can. But to this month, tomorrow, in fact, Davey will, and, and Brayden, I believe, I, I don't, is Brayden on this one? I'm not sure. Okay, but Davey, at the very least, will be reviewing his very favorite show of all time. Any guesses, John? Um, you mentioned to me... That we need to remember to promote this, so you did mention what it is. Okay. Um, how about I guess Cheers? Correct. We got the John Larroquette show. No, it's not Cheers. It is Lost. It is oh. Lost. Yeah, a show that have you seen Lost? No, me neither. So uh, don't listen to us talk about it. Instead, listen to Davey Portman talk about it on the Up Next feed. He'll be talking about the pilot. Part one and part two. This will probably be the beginning of a series for Davey, but uh, you can listen to the first edition for free absolutely tomorrow on the Up Next feed. And you can leave your feedback right now at forum.postwrestling.com. Yes. So uh, look, look forward to that on the Up Next feed. Uh, Davey is also doing uh, TV reports for us. So Tuesday night, he'll have a review of this week's Impact Wrestling episode as well. So uh, that's all our, our in-house no- news and notes. Uh, let's get into uh, some actual uh, wrestling news and MMA news here. So the final number for Friday Night SmackDown came in. 1,885,000 viewers falling under 2 million for the first time on Fox. A .5 in the demo. And um, yes, we are... Uh, SmackDown, it's, it's clearly the pattern now. And even lower than, than I thought. Falling underneath... Uh, last week, they did just over 2 million by just the smallest amount. And this week falling, this was this was even worse because it the overnight figure came in. And then the final number was even lower, um, which is not usually the, the trend you see. Usually, 
because the overnight figure, it's taking like the the top metered markets and then the final number reflects the entire country. So usually it actually goes up a small amount. This time it went down. Um, but not, not much more to, to say about the, um, the the trend of things of where they're going. But I, I think it is a bit more pronounced that if we're going to direct our attention, the fact that this is happening on Fox as opposed to the USA Network and the, the fact that you know, it's it's hitting. You know, they're Raw and SmackDown in the last week both did uh, between 1.8 and 1.9 million viewers, and that's where things are at the moment. And you, you just just wonder with with SmackDown, um, it's just been this three week collapse where they have uh, fallen significantly. At this point, would you say there are any viewers of SmackDown that aren't viewers of Raw? I mean, for the longest time, they always said that it was such a different audience that was watching the two. But granted, that that was years and years ago that WWE was claiming that. Um, I would say now, I'd have a hard time imagining you're having too much of like a distinct audience that is watching these particular shows. Like, I would think like these 1.8 million or so viewers are pretty. Like, I can't imagine people that are watching at this length these shows, and they're not watching both. So the advantage of being on network TV is not really there. It would not appear to be, um, unless there is such a great amount of raw viewers that get their fix through raw that do not tune in on Friday nights. But I mean, SmackDown is available to so many more people. It's in so many more homes. I mean, that in and of itself, it should be attracting that many more people, even in a lean time, such as, this current uh, situation that they're in. And what reaction do you see, if any, from the company? Well, I I can't imagine that it's too concerning uh, because today Fox announced like they're putting a two-hour special on Saturday night uh, with this WWE Greatest Ladder Matches special, which is interesting on several fronts. Number one, it's at a time when the WWE audience feels like it is very depleted. They are doubling down and putting... This is two hours on Fox. This is not on FS1. This is on regular Fox. And it's head-to-head with a pretty big ESPN prelims card with uh, with the 249 fights. Like, that's got Donald Cerrone and Anthony Pettis on it. And they're going head-to-head with this greatest ladder matches compilation, which I'm interested to see how it does because they're, they were really pushing the fact, like, not just the ladder match concept, but... Austin and Rock and putting in, you know, big, big names here on network television. But, um, you know, I, I imagine this one doing in the like, I, I don't see this being like if this hits a million viewers, I'll be surprised. Uh, how did the uh, WrestleMania replays do? Mm, I'd have to look back like they, they were fairly low, but they were, as I recall, mm-hmm. over over a million. By, by the end of time that they start, they stopped doing those like 2008, I want to say, 2009. Right. Is this the first time Fox has done one of these? This is the first time we've seen one of these on Fox. Yeah, we've seen plenty on FS1. Interesting. Um, what else do we have? Some injury news from the WWE. Kevin Owens did an interview with uh, RDS, and he stated that he is dealing with an ankle injury right now, but also mentioned the fact that WWE is not 
uh, pressuring people to be doing these shows if he doesn't want to, and he does want to be home with his family, but mentioned with the ankle injury, it occurred during the match with Seth Rollins at some point at WrestleMania, and he is going to need an x-ray uh, to determine uh, the extent of the injury. And it wasn't exactly said when this interview was conducted. Um, you would think if he needs an x-ray that he hasn't waited a month to get an x-ray. So it could be a case that this was done um, over the last week or two. Um, but nonetheless, uh, an ankle injury it wouldn't seem to be something where he's out the longest amount of time. But I guess the other caveat is how comfortable is he doing the shows right now? Because he did kind of give that impression that he wants to be home right now with his family. Yeah, seems... Seems like it, you know, at the very least, seems like it's a, at least a bit of both that's keeping him away, you know, wanting to fix his ankle, but also seemingly seems like he wants to be with his family at this point in time, which is, of course, understandable. So um, at some point, though, I, I imagine everybody will be required to come back. Uh, Jay Uso, um, or sorry, uh, Jimmy Uso uh, suffered uh, an injury on the same card, actually, they were both on that, that same night of WrestleMania. And Jimmy Uso, that was his last match, so this is where we presume it occurred. He's got a knee injury. Uh, I don't know specifically what type of knee injury it is, but the timetable is six to nine months that he'll be gone. So that is a significant injury for him and takes him out for uh, probably the rest of the year. And I guess also the question arises, like, what happens with Jey Uso during that, that time? Because it's often the case in WWE for tag teams that when one goes down, they kind of stop using the other one. We've seen that uh, Razor is hurt right now, and there's been no usage of Akam. It's difficult for me to see, like, a Jey Uso solo thing or him with another tag team partner. I mean, if it was Jimmy, I could see them pairing him with uh, uh, Naomi. And, you know, working some sort of storyline like they did with the Mandy Rose thing for a time. But Jey Uso solo, I I really just see him sitting out while waiting this out. And who knows, maybe by the time that he, uh, his brother's ready, maybe maybe this whole thing will be over. I mean, that's certainly the hope, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it would... To me, if if you had a, a comfortable downside... Now, believe me, I don't want to, like, minimize an injury. Injuries suck, but uh, of all times... At the moment, I mean, if you're going to get hurt, now would be a time where it's like, do I really want to be doing these shows? And uh, like if I had some like nagging injury that I needed to get taken care of that required some kind of surgery, I mean, now would probably be the time you want to take advantage of that. It's, you know, do either... I do I Scotty Pip in the season? Well, that's 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 the part of it. Uh, do, do you want to am Scottie I going to let you screw up, mess up my summer? Oh, that's that might be it. Like, get it out of the way now, and maybe you can enjoy a bit of your summer. I mean, no one's going to be enjoying their summer at, at this rate. But yeah. um, anyway, that's that's the state of uh, of those two as well. Um, what else do we have here for the UFC this week? Uh, Mark Ramondi uh, has done some fantastic reporting on everything involving like the regulation side for this weekend's uh, first of three cards in Jacksonville. So some some notes here from uh, a piece that I linked to in today's update uh, that Mark has put out. So here here are some of the uh, situations that these fighters are in. Uh, Uriah Hall, who's going to be fighting on the card Saturday, he is currently um, living inside the Fortis MMA gym in Texas, sleeping on an air mattress to prepare for this. Michelle Watterson uh, has one sparring partner to get ready for her fight, that being her husband. 
Um, most fighters are going to be arriving in Jacksonville either Tuesday or Wednesday. Donald Cerrone is going to be arriving. Apparently, he's going to get into his RV, and he has told them he will arrive there just in time for the weigh-ins on Friday. Um, oh, my God. UFC, yeah. <laughs> UFC apparently is going to be doing COVID-19 testing. Um, Mark's reporting that they're going to do the diagnostic swab test as well as an antibody test. Uh, in addition to that, there will be daily screenings and medical tests uh, conducted, and they may be doing something where they stagger the times that everyone comes on Friday to weigh in so you don't get that glut of people coming first thing and you have all these people standing around waiting. Um, and the arena is going to be sterilized in between shows, uh, which are May 9th, May 13th, and May 16th um, there at the um, – in Jacksonville at the arena there. So th- those are some of the um, – the, some of the protocol that's in place. But I, I guess the big one is that it appears there will be uh, COVID-19 testing going on for fighters and for cornermen. So again, was this stuff made public knowledge or was it like found by someone? Well, I mean, Mark reported on this and he also spoke with a, with an official in Jacksonville who kind of uh, echoed the same about there being uh, testing. But this did not come directly from the UFC. Well, yeah. I mean, listen, it, this stuff is really good to know. Um, I think it, it puts your mind at ease if you are somebody who is a fan and planning on watching these shows anyway. I, I would assume that some of us might might feel less guilty about watching something like this, knowing that the company is taking every precaution to ensure the fighter's safety. And as such, you know, I feel like it's it's really – it would be in their interest to try to let, let as many people know about this stuff as possible. But um, to know that they are doing actual swabbing and, and as well antibody testing, um, I – I think is more than I personally expected. Um, I also, I mean, the, the criticism, criticism is always there that, you know, um, are we still in, in, in encountering a shortage of these tests? I guess I'm not really as up on it a, 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 anymore, but um, are we, John, do you know? Uh, I mean, yeah, there's still like an issue with, with, with tests and such. And I know that that uh, like, like, I think that that is, I don't know what that maybe the, the general, um, level of concern or um, reaction is going to be that these these fighters and these cornermen are going to be receiving tests. But I feel it would have been much more of a backlash maybe three weeks ago than it is today. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like there's, there still is the, the, the need for, for tests and such. And that was that was kind of brought up as well. Like a concern of the NBA's was, you know, the idea that the testing that may be required um do we want to have that that kind of you know we're we're taking up the these these tests that could be used for other people yeah yeah um but i i guess um you know the alternative is um well the alternative is to not do the fight which i think would still be responsible but jesus it this fucking country really needs its sports this world really needs its sports and if they well, gonna- what i've what i've learned from all of this if you are big enough, there are separate rules oh, when yeah. you are a certain level. Like I, I did not even like put this all together, but like this money in the bank match that has been taped, there was a, a, a stay-at-home order instituted in Connecticut back on March 23rd, and it's been extended until uh, May 20th. That's when they're going to try and start their like phase-in approach. But you know, you you like flew people in to do this match and. You know, that, like that's just another thing in, in all of this that that you you question. And again, it's just there's different rules. There's different rules for for different companies. 
Yeah, yeah. But, you know, um, to know the backstory of a lot of these fighters trying to, like, navigate their way through this whole thing in order to get ready for a fight, that to me is, I mean, it sounds like it'll be the greatest edition of UFC Embedded ever. I don't think that we're going to get an Embedded this week. I know. Unfortunately. Um, I'm, what kind of quality do you expect of these fights on, not just the fights on Saturday, but... Uh, Issues with some of these fighters making weight under these circumstances, mm-hmm. like not ideal training camps at all. Yeah. Um, like I, I'm bracing myself like that. Some are going to really struggle making weight. And and are we going to get optimal performances like uh, conditioning wise, especially for you're talking about um, two title fights of, you know, four fighters that are training to go five rounds. It's uh, like, like that's just one of many questions of what we're going to see on Saturday. When you're talking about, you know, fighting at this level or any sort of athletic performance at this level, you are talking about like a very precise science that a lot of these fighters have to go through to get ready to get into like, you know, the exact condition that they need to be for a fight like this. And um, certainly I think the biggest risk is uh, the weight cut. I, I, I would not be surprised if you had a number of fighters, you know, have a difficulty or even just not, not make weight. Um, you know, gas tank will certainly be a different question. But another element of that of this though is that like I think fighters, I mean they're 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 remarkable people that can like, you know, when when their backs are pressed against the wall, they will find really like they might even be more motivated now, knowing that, you know, they're already at a handicap. How can I, you know, take this more seriously? How can I ensure that everything is perfect despite everything not being perfect? And, you know, will they see this as like almost like a, a a new creative kind of like unique, you know, fight to survive type of opportunity. Um, that Sorry, this is a more of like a kind of like a mentality of combat sports type of discussion. But um, I, I find it all so fascinating. UFC 249, the risk is worth the reward. Really, it's way more appropriate for that for this show, isn't it? Well, I mean, tonight we're going to get promos about potentially plunging to one's death so i mean there's there's risk all around i guess um that's going to take us into uh raw postwrestling.com for all your latest news and monday's episode of raw kicked off with the mvp lounge and he said that things got out of control last week things by the way by the way john i just want to stop you this was taped last week right yeah this was taped a week ago so um yeah just to get everyone's time straight there's no there's no uh New episodes of NXT and SmackDown being taped this week. They were all taped last week. And then next next Monday, they're doing Ron SmackDown Monday and then another Ron SmackDown on the Tuesday. And Money in the Bank is taped as well. The match has been taped. Um, the, I, I literally do not know what the state is, like what they're doing with the other matches. I just know that the latter match portion was taped. Interesting. Okay. So the pay-per-view matches themselves, we don't know. No, like I'm presuming they're happening on Sunday, but I, I do not know that for a fact. Okay. Um, so anyway, MVP uh, brings out the uh, the female participants on Raw for the ladder match. We have Asuka, Shayna Baszler, and Nia Jax. The highlight of these entrances, and probably this segment, was Nia Jax walking out to her music while Asuka is bobbing her head, lip-syncing to Nia Jax's theme. <laughs> She has really found a way to just be entertaining in in a variety of ways um, without having to really speak a proper 
like, you know, cut a long English promo. She's managed to just convey her personality and in, in using body language and just doing, I don't know, interesting, funny things like that. Naya said that she is relentless. That is all she needs. Asuka yells at her in Japanese. Uh, MVP uh, brought up an interesting fact here, uh, alerting both Shayna and the audience at home that Shayna is a cage fighter, which I think is uh, this show's version of The Dentist. Shayna takes the microphone and says, Opera non verba mm-hmm. what she does mean? her she does her talking with her action that's what that means in latin well i i spent Dude, I, I, I full disclosure i never took latin but where uh, the fuck do they even offer latin anymore uh you went to not TV in canada school, john why would you that wasn't even an, an option i had to take french French was mandatory yeah. up until grade nine. Of course, but Latin is not an official language in any like, what well, country. Opera, opera non verba means deeds, not words. Oh, okay. Well, um, I guess what she said sounded more appropriate for wrestling. It's funny. When I, when I looked this up, opera non verba, the example here is someone that has inserted this. The motto of the gym where my 16-year-old son and I study mixed martial arts is opera non verba. Deeds, not words? Deeds, not words. But isn't that weird? Like a mixed martial arts gym has this. uh, Maybe they got, maybe they had Shayna's translation. Maybe that's where Shayna trained too. Uh, It it could have been. I'm trying to uh, click on this to see maybe where where the gym is, but I don't think it, uh, I don't think it says the specific gym, but uh, there you go. What did Shayna say again? I do my fighting with my fist. She says, I do my, uh, my talking with my actions. I do my talking with my actions. Okay. All right. Cool. Oscar did her talking with her talking by screaming. And Nia just sat and watched. And then Baszler and Oscar attacked her. And MVP had to separate Baszler and Oscar. And that was it. Yeah, I thought the segment kind of sucked. Now, you had basically three people speaking three different languages here, and <laughs> including Shayna with Latin. Yeah, yeah, you know? we did. We had the Latin representation. And, like, I didn't think any of them were really able to generate any sort of meaningful grudge between one another. Instead, it just came across as, like, generic posturing. And then in, you... in fairness, can you imagine Shayna as Shayna cutting a promo about being on top of a roof? I no. mean, this, this match is so counter to everything about this woman's character it would have been it would have been something else to hear her have to like spit words on climbing the corporate ladder and (laughs) the risk is worth the reward on top of wwe headquarters well you know what soon enough john in a a matter of weeks you're probably going to get mma fighters cutting promos about fighting on an island so what sounds more (laughs) ridiculous that's you you once again uh have have taught me (laughs) but i was disappointed that they didn't use this time to actually build some story you have so many stories here you have you know the rivalry between oscar and Shayna baszler both of them were the respective i would say queens of their eras of nxt you know oscar was that person then Shayna kind of took her place and now this is the first match that these two can really you know test themselves against one another in a, in a meaningful way. You have Nia Jax here, who's wrestling her first major event since double knee surgery. Can she prove that she's as dominant as she once was? Or or just simply, like, God forbid, John, talking about why you want to win Becky Lynch's championship. 
What are you talking about, Wayne? It's, right? it's about climbing the corporate ladder. Yeah, it's it's absolutely a, it's a foreign concept. But instead, we just had like three people like make noises with their mouths, and that was it. So I didn't think they achieved that much here. God, if this was a year ago, they should have started off the go home raw with George Barrios in the middle of the ring to explain the significance of the corporate ladder, and he does it in George Barrios speak. Um. And then you the don't eco- see- the ecosystem you will be competing in this this fiscal. Uh, I'm going to provide a little bit of color for this match here, <laughs> but not that kind of color. There's none of that. <laughs> Barrios would be a great like. I mean, if they were still doing heel GMs or just a manager, wouldn't he be? Oh, wouldn't he be him great and Baron? Him and Corbin would be awesome. He'd be perfect. Yes, just imagine him with Heyman uh, dueling promos. Wow, that would be fantastic stuff. I, I do hope one day we hear from George Barrios again. He's probably got like the most ironclad NDA in history, but man, he's he's the white whale out there. There'll be a thirty for thirty at some point. <laughs> yeah, George Barrios. He'll be doing like uh maybe he'll be Starcast guest guest panel one year. <laughs> wow, that'd be crazy. Comes in with like a shaved head. His hair's gone. Maybe he'll have a pro wrestling tea store. Yeah. Comes in with like his his stocks. It's like, look how much I walked what? out of there with. I climbed the corporate ladder <laughs> and I jumped off. You got pushed off real quick. Anyway. Samoa Joe's back with Tom Phillips and Byron Saxton. So Jerry Lawler flew all the way to Florida for this latest trip, literally to be in the ring for a minute before Drew told him, why don't you get out of here for the contract signing? Pretty much, yeah. Um, I mean, unless he was just hanging out anyway. J- just chilling in Florida? Maybe. I don't know. For weeks? He's reopened his restaurant in Memphis. Right now? Yeah. Well, I they're, guess they're adhering to social distancing rules, but yeah. All right. Um, is the food good? Never been. Kind of curious. Go on Yelp. What's it called? Jerry Lawler restaurant. Oh, I can't remember what the name of his it is off the top of my plate. It's like a barbecue joint. King Jerry Lawler's Hall of Fame Bar and Grill. That's it. That's it. All right. Um, Any reviews? Uh, three out of five stars. Mm. 74 reviews. And it's a $2 sign, John. Okay. Well, listen. Here's a four-star review. Claudia B. said... Oh, sorry. This is a different review. Uh, okay. Well, okay. This first one here from Jenna W. Three stars. The music was amazing and is the only reason I'm giving it three stars. The service... The music! Dude, that, that's a low bar when the music is carrying the review. Says, the service here is terrible. Our server was trash. Just note that if you get served a flat, nasty beer, you still have to pay for it. They aren't allowed to get you a different one. Every place that we stopped on our bar hop adventure tonight was fun. But this place is a place we will remember as a disappointment. Oh, oh come on. People think we're, we're like... Negative. Have you been on Yelp lately, everybody? Here's one from Kyle from Kansas City. Another three-star review. The nachos were okay. The sweet potato fries were dusted with powdered sugar and cake with syrup, like pancake syrup to dip in. The boneless chicken strips were good and came with fried potatoes. A bar slash restaurant slash live entertainment place with okay service and okay food. Overall, a three-star place. Well, he'll probably take it. That's fine. Let me do so, one more. Let me do one more. Yep, this one, a one-star review. 
Oh, no. From Jeremy K. in Oakland. On my last night in Memphis, my friend and I came here for dinner. However, despite the fact that the waitress gave us menus, she tells us that the kitchen closed 10 minutes earlier. Not even five minutes before she came to our table, she served a table their food. I do not understand why she gave us menus in the first place if she knew that the kitchen was closed. Also, the bar was packed with patrons on a holiday weekend. I'm shocked that a bar restaurant would close their kitchen at 8 on a Sunday night. I was kind of bummed because my friend who lives there recommended that we go there on my last night here. Wow, these are all tourists as well. I guess no one in Memphis wants to... uh degrade the great Jerry Lawler. And then to be fair, there there are certain, there are some five-star reviews, there's some four-star okay. reviews. It's a it's a solid mix. I mean, I would if I was in Memphis, I would go, but not right now. Well, uh no Lawler on this show. We started things off with the last chance money in the bank gauntlet match. Uh at the start of this, we were told we don't know who's in this and we don't know how long this is going to go. Could have been I thought five it could weeks. be the whole show maybe. Yeah, like you're entering a match. How many do I have to win? Don't know. <laughs> Just keep going. <laughs> when Titus O'Neil came out, I was like, this is going to be a long, long match. So Bobby Lashley comes out. He does not have Lana in his corner. He spears Titus in 51 seconds. Out comes Akira Tozawa, and Lashley just laughs at this idiot. Tozawa gets in a missile drop kick. Lashley, like, just... Uh, just dusts off his shoulder, spears him, and pins Akira Tozawa of NXT's Cruiserweight title tournament in 21 seconds. Oh my god, was... that, that doesn't mean anything, John. I mean, Titus O'Neil is higher ranked than Akira Tozawa. Why was Tozawa even in this? this all this was was, why would you waste it, your time on NXT? That, that's what the, mm. this is is on, on Raw. I mean, I, I don't know this for a fact, but it feels like there are very different people booking the NXT Cruiserweight Championship you, Tournament. You think? And the Raw got and Money in the Bank got that match. And, and I mean, Akira Tozawa just happens to have two jobs. You know, and one job, he's like, you know, sort of like a senior manager. Another job, he's just a cashier. This just tells me, though, there's no synergy between the two. Because wh- why Why was this necessary to have this 21 seconds in, inserted in this? To add to Lashley's numbers... um, Tozawa was probably there. Uh, I don't know. They they just they have a list, and they had he's on the list. Well, uh, Velocity is on Wednesday nights at eight on the USA Network. Bobby Lashley and Shelton Benjamin. Uh, time to go Broadway. We went a minute forty one here. Uh, this featured uh, Shelton Benjamin leapfrogging a spear before he got speared and then was pinned. He was given, a, yeah, a bit more offense than the others. Umberto Carrillo was his fourth opponent, and uh, Carrillo hit him with a missile drop kick and his moonsault. Uh, but then Carrillo gets uh, Carrillo gets tossed off the top and attacked in the corner. Lashley shoves referee Sean Bennett and gets disqualified in 224, spears Carrillo, leaving him for dead, and that was the end of Bobby Lashley's night. I like. I certainly. I, I enjoy the fact that they gave Lashley something. You know, he he leaves this this gauntlet match, at least with something to brag about. And I thought that you know, like him going through all the jobbers, I thought it was actually effective. I I thought this finish was really lame. Unfortunately, I understand you wanting to retain the value that you built for Lashley. I just wish the DQ was a bit more logical and creative, because him just shoving a referee, he just looks like an idiot for doing all that hard work and costing himself the match for no reason. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe, maybe give uh, Umberto the leapfrog spot, and Lashley accidentally spears the ref or something. Something fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that wouldn't be a cause for DQ. But what you, do you could... mean he, he spears the ref by accident? Ah, still, still attacking an official. So, something, something, something. Rather than you know him like just getting so angry, he shoves the ref like that. To me, is mm, just lazy. So Umberto Carrillo took on Angel Garza. Byron notes that these two have a long history together. Yes, they're cousins. The <laughs> pants came off. They cut to the back here. Some cousins Lana... have short history together. You know, well, these these two gentlemen are like not five years old, so I, I think they have a pretty notable history. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess five year old. I'm not saying a quality history, but a history. Yes. Yeah. You have a long history with your family. Like some, I have cousins that I've never even met. Okay, well, these two apparently have met because they had a, a grudge from the get go. Yeah, that's true. Lana is telling Bobby, "If I had been out there, I could have done something for you." And Lashley says, "Not now." Maybe, maybe these two have to like quarantine with one another, and now they are just that's a uh, thing driving each other crazy. Have you heard that? Like it's a the, like a the divorce rate is apparently like really like higher now in some places because of this pandemic. Well, like, maybe maybe that's where Lashley and Lana are headed towards. Uh, but they're not quarantining. They get to go to work. They're well, traveling is... every week, pretty much. Yeah, that's um. I mean, theirs is worse, really, because they get they have to work with one another. They see each other twenty four seven, no matter what. Yeah, so, that's true. I mean, this is not the quarantine. Wouldn't be uh, it'd be no no break from the norm. Yeah, it's all Garza here. Carrillo fought back. Uh, there was a quebrada by Garza for a two count, and then as he's going for the wing clipper, it's countered with a sunset roll up, and Carrillo pins him. Um, crowd just was. They pop big here for the big baby face come from behind victory. Huge, yeah. Miraculously. They've been it was almost like they, they were, were really behind Carrillo here as the underdog. It was almost like they were dormant for the past, you know, three months. But here it was just like Austin Rock. Yes. Um I have nothing to add here. These were just No, uh, listen, like uh, so so I mean you could divide this match into pretty much two chapters. And one was the the Bobby Lashley chapter where he basically just squashed everybody. And you have the the Humberto Carrillo chapter where he also squashed everybody, but his squashes were all 10-minute <laughs> matches where he fights from behind and then eventually sneaks out a victory. And yeah, this was one of those. Yeah, maybe because we didn't have a crowd rallying behind him. I just thought it was so much of Umberto mm-hmm. just getting beaten to death. It was just I had no um like no reason to get behind this guy because he was just getting thrown around and it was just it was that too much selling like you, where you're dying. You also have no no reason to get behind him because you haven't seen him in like 2 months, dude. Like when was yeah, the last time? We yeah, saw he's this guy? Be, he's been off for a long time. There's uh, been zero story attached to him. Like he's pretty much been completely forgotten at this point. And yeah, I completely agree with you. I think the pace here, I I do understand because in these gauntlet matches, you have to pace the guy who is supposed to be there for like 40 minutes or something. But as a result, like we've seen them in in this current era get away from like their typical formula of like doing the long rest hold, you know, playing to the crowd, that type of bullshit. Like, they've instead been doing really fast, you know, X-Division style, like, Cruiserweight style type of matches. But here, because whether to, you know, save, save the dude's cardio or whatever, they had to do the long rest hold. And as a, as a result, like, 
you just had way more dead pauses. And it, it, I really felt it. Austin Theory was out next, and he's in control. He's kicking away at the ribs, um, has this long, uh, this waist lock applied. Then he leaps off the middle rope, uh, Carrillo does during his comeback, and gets nailed with a forearm. Theory hits a superplex, but Carrillo rolls and cradles him to catch him with the cover in 425. Like, this was just, <laughs> this was like 95% Austin Theory, and then his leg gets hooked at the end. Yeah, it's the same match. Mandy Ro- uh, during this commercial break, they announced Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville to save SmackDown this Friday. Yeah, ratings-wise, how did that do? Do you know? Which? That segment, I guess. Well, Mandy and Sonya is this, this Friday. I mean, I guess I meant last Friday. Do we oh, know the breakdown? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the, the quarters were. But, I mean, the, the, the second hour was lower than the first. But that, that's every week. Mm, okay. Umberto Carrillo is ready for one more opponent, and out comes AJ Styles. Tom yells, we thought we saw a ghost. Uh, this guy's supposed to be either a ghost or a zombie is what I expected. Well, he confirmed he was neither. Um, didn't come out with dirt. It's kind of yeah. like AJ just like, yeah, uh, got out, had a shower, and he's back. Would you have ex- expected the dirt to still be on his face? After yeah, that's one. that's kind of what I wanted. It's kind of like when Kane, when he finally unmasked his face after like 30 years, still had ash on it. <laughs> exactly. It's traumatic. Like he hadn't washed his face in 30 years. He went straight from being burnt to wearing a mask. So Styles goes right to the midsection, works on the leg, weakens the leg, and then Carrillo hits a DDT. Styles flips over the turnbuckle. They readjust, and then there's an inside cradle by Carrillo for a two count, and then pump handle into a gut buster by AJ, calf crusher, and Carrillo taps out at 554. AJ is going to the money in the bank ladder match, and then he beat the shit out of Carrillo some more because I, w- I want to see this guy sell a bit. So he wrapped his leg around the post, and uh, this dude was closer to death than AJ was at the end of the Boneyard match. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was all, all that was missing was him reaching his hand out out of some dirt. But um, you know, this I like we said I thought this was pretty dull, unfortunately. Um at no point did I really feel any sort of sympathy for Alberto Carrillo, just, you know, just I'm I'm I mean, we're rather unfamiliar with him at this point. But it was made notable by the surprise AJ return, which I mean, really wasn't a surprise if you were paying attention to postwrestling.com. Well, there you go. Um then AJ cut this promo. I swear, these are the words that came out of his mouth. His first words back. I'm not a zombie. I'm not a ghost. Yeah, I got buried. So what? That doesn't mean I lost. There are no rules in a boneyard match. I love that he's protesting the outcome of this, like on his record. He has seized an opportunity. I'm now in the most unique money in the bank match. And I will do anything to win even if I have to throw Ray or Aleister Black off of WWE headquarters, so be it. AJ's coming to kill. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I'm not a zombie. I'm not a ghost. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's not wrong. You know, I suppose like a buried alive match that was shot in a cinematic format. Um, it does. It shouldn't affect your sports record 
Um, but it's disappointing because that was such a big match. And I think at the very least, when a, when you see a guy literally get buried alive, you would expect some sort of change in character, some sort of change in demeanor, even, you know, at the very least his look. But, you know, he came out of that with no injuries, doesn't even seem to have any sort of renewed motivation to get revenge on anybody. It's almost as if never it never happened. And, and that to me is a little disappointing because I, I want to think back to that match as a significant event. Yeah, I think that, you know, this, like, I imagine they didn't want to keep him off TV too long. But to me, like, just having some vignettes to start running, like, what happened to AJ, like, that was one of the, the you know, cliffhangers, if you want to call it that, at the end of that WrestleMania, like, how to bring this guy back. And it was, you know, he's back. He's just, he's just back. And at the very least, yeah, like a like a change in character, like a darker version of AJ, something like even his his colors are different. Maybe he's in like all black or something. You know, just anything that represents a significance coming out of that match. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, this was a chance, I think, for him to cut a bigger promo, like talking about any sort of character change as a result of a match like that, talking about the loss of his brothers in I I thought that they would go that direction that like I'm back but not all of us made it out of the boneyard like something to that effect where it was like that was the end of these two uh he lost his brothers in this match some type of lasting consequence you know to make me feel like my time invested was was not for nothing then we had our top 10 list that I guess they've fallen in love with on these shows tonight we had the top 10 money in the bank moments um Going from uh, number 10, we had AJ powerbombing. First of all, you just tell me yes or no if you remember some of these moments, okay? Because I'd be saying no on many of these. AJ powerbombing Kevin Owens onto a ladder. That specific moment? That's what was number 10. I don't remember that specific moment. Like, it wasn't even an outcome. It was just that spot. Uh, Number nine was the women's, it was a moment from the women's Money in the Bank ladder match in 2018 where Ember Moon landed a reverse cross off the middle rope onto Sasha on top of a ladder. Um, no, uh, but I'm a bad person to ask, John, because I, I, I don't remember anything. Okay. Well, these are all, these were the top 10 moments of all time for Money in the Bank. Uh, number eight, Orton cashing in on Daniel Bryan. That was at SummerSlam 2013. Lesnar winning the Money in the Bank last year and his uh, oh, and his love with like early 90s hip hop afterwards. Oh, yeah. I remember that. That was great. Number six was Shelton's spot from WrestleMania 22, scaling the ladder and diving to the floor. Uh, that was We were at several of these. Yeah. We were, we were there for this. I'll take your word number for it. Fi- <laughs> number five was Bailey cashing in last year to beat Charlotte Flair. Not only was I watching this and like legitimately surprised, I was like, "Oh, Bailey won the title that way, dude." I don't even remember Bailey winning Money in the Bank last year, so I don't know what that goes to say about my fading memory. It, it's clear to me, and and again, I, I fast forwarded through all these, so I, I might be proven wrong as you go through the list. But it's clear to me that they're focusing only on people that are currently on the roster. Uh, yes, uh, and that you can literally see on the show. Yeah, each week. Number four was Andrade delivering a sunset bomb to Finn Balor off the ladder onto another ladder. I do remember that spot. It was uh, pretty horrific from last year. 
Um, number three was Edge cashing in at the first Money in the Bank, or sorry, the New Year's Revolution cashing in the first Money in the Bank briefcase in 06. Number two was Jeff Hardy putting Edge through a ladder at WrestleMania 23. And number one, Seth Rollins cashing in his Money in the Bank and defeating a ghost uh, to, de- to become the new champion in 2015. It was a great memory. I remember it like it was uh, just last week. Um, yeah. Yeah, this felt like uh, WWE's Infinity War here at the end. Seth comes out. He meets with Charlie in the ring. He's got confidence in Murphy tonight taking on Drew McIntyre. And we got the same droning promo from Seth that we've gotten every week. Drew's a fighter. He's a warrior. He's an honorable man, but he's not a leader. He will sacrifice himself for his destiny. And this just went on for like four minutes and was of no consequence. You know, I, I did enjoy the, the thread Seth kind of began here, getting into a little bit more detail about some of the unknown or unseen rigors and responsibilities of being a champion that he doesn't feel Drew is ready for. Like, it feels like he's got the beginnings of, of like a really interesting storyline, but he really, and we're talking about the go-home show here, so he hasn't really, by the end of this build, ever really gotten to the meat of it all which I, I'm, I'm a little disappointed by it because it just seemed to continue to descend into like, like a pretty generic promo by the end of this. Um, it feels like he just, he's got like sort of a very superficial caricature of what a cult leader is, but it does not feel fleshed out at all. Like, but it feels like this would be a character that would be really good in a developmental, you know, um, system, like an FCW or something. Someday it might've been ready. Someday it might've been, you know, a Bray Wyatt type of character. But in this incarnation, I really don't think it's ready for primetime national TV. And it's been kind of painful watching Seth continue to workshop this in a primitive form week after week on TV. Um, especially like without a crowd being there to let him know what's working or what's not working. I, I just don't really, I haven't really been seeing that much improvement. And it's just, I, it's difficult because I, I, I don't know how much more of it we're going to get. Before, you know, it can suddenly miraculously be miraculously be ready for TV. I, I think this is much more Seth than it is the actual character, because I think that this is a like deep down. I think that this is something that could be communicated in a much clearer way, because at, at its core, he's explaining that when you're the champion, when you're the top guy, everyone's trying to cut you down and while you're on the rise everyone's behind you and when you're on top of the mountain they just want to push you off and there's to me there's a lot of realism in there that Seth could draw upon from last year and how he was champion and he ended up being you know torched by people uh Mm-hmm. I, I think that there's a lot he could really dive into here and it's like this is a, a bit of a, a leap out there but you know very similar to the last episode of uh, The Last Dance with Michael Jordan talking about the same thing and that in this culture, like we have our celebrities and then it's like the inevitable fall and finding fault and almost like an obsession of finding that fault. And I think there's a lot of ways that Seth could really draw from this and he's kind of experienced all this that it, it should strike a chord with him. But I get none of that in these promos. And I think he's trying to somewhat explain this by the fact that you know the burden of being the champion and, and all that comes with that but it's 
I just think he's totally missing any kind of relatability or communicating this in his voice. It's just like he's doing this weird cult thing that it it doesn't work at all. Yeah, the character is unfortunately a little too over the top, and I don't think the performance is really there on the level of like, I mean, I hate to, again, compare it to it, but like, you know, something like Bray Wyatt, who I think is, does the cult leader thing a lot better because he's a better character performer. Um, whereas I think Seth is a guy who comes across a lot better when he tries to speak as himself. Um, and yeah, like you said, there's a great deal of story, real story that I think could be far more authentic and delivered far more effectively without all the gimmicky stuff, you know, attached to it. Shane Thorne and Brendan Vink are backstage and we're literally about to have a conversation about wrist tape when MVP thankfully interrupted this engaging dialogue. And he said that while well, he went to go give the, the speech that uh, Herb Brooks gives in uh, in Miracle um, and they note the reference and they're not going to lose to Ricochet or Cedric Alexander again and they will have the opportunity to share what it's like to lose to them. Yeah, so it appears these guys are, I mean, really getting a real push and it's not like, you know, they're just a one-week type of thing. No. Um, here they're getting a chance to speak and my first impressions of both guys, I mean, I've seen, I've seen Shane Thorne before I haven't really seen too much of his like either singles run or him like I don't even know how much he's really gotten to speak in NXT. But here here getting both guys, you know, showcase a little bit of personality. I get the sense Thorne is still struggling to kind of find his own voice, but Vink shows great confidence, really like his, you know, nice slow confident delivery, and he's got great size and presence, so I can see him doing well almost immediately. Then they ran a promo, and they ran two of these tonight about Edge and Randy Orton and will the hunter become the hunted? And they just said Edge, Randy Orton next week on Raw. And we never had the announcers react to this or push that they're appearing next week. But is that how you took it? Because I watched this and I wasn't quite sure. Are they on Raw next week or are they re-airing this match next week? I took it to mean that they're at least, at the very least, you know, uh, uh, scheduled for a confrontation. I think it would be disappointing if it was like just a match. I feel like they would say that, wouldn't they? Well, I don't know if they, like, given where they are right now, if it's just re-airing the match. Oh, God. And, uh, that was like the, they... the only bad match of that show. Well, I, again, it was just, it was weird because I figured like we'd hear Tom saying next week or just, making it clear that they're coming next. Like with Becky Lynch, they made it clear she is coming next week to confront the winner of money in the bank. Like I watched this literally three times well, and it was just edge Orton next week on raw. Well, you could assume that, but when they were taping this, they, they perhaps didn't have official confirmation that that was going to happen and that this might've been something they added at the last minute. Um, I guess I was left confused uh, about whether or not they were re-airing the WrestleMania match, having a brand new match next week. Or I think perhaps the more likely scenario, just having a confrontation next week. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm sure they will would if they are going to be there next week, I think they would make that that pretty clear. And I think most people did read it that way. So maybe maybe I'm just uh, looking too much into this. Well, but. I mean, I think it was purposely vague to let you think that. I don't know. Well, if they're there next week, happening. I wouldn't want to make it vague if it's re-airing the match and. It, it's also been 30 days, so that also could be a factor in 
you know, they had to potentially wait 30 days to, to air this. Oh, okay. Right. Um, yeah, we shall see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see next week. Um, Murphy gets interviewed by Charlie, and she asks why he is so loyal to Rollins. He says Seth took him under his wing when it benefited both of them. He's learned and developed so that one day he can be on Rollins' level, or one day be better. And they both know that this day will come. You know, it's a little unfortunate that this whole thing, and, you know, really before that with the authors of pain injury, um, is kind of derailed whatever faction Seth Rollins was trying to build with Murphy and everybody. Um, it Right now, it really does not feel like it's a faction. And that's kind of coupled with, you know, intermittent appearances from both Murphy and Seth Rollins. But um, Murphy certainly, like, stood to gain the most, I would say, of anybody by his association with Seth. And, it, you know, he's still a presence on the show, but does not feel as like as big of a deal as he was in in those weeks since he joined. He also added, Seth thinks he can beat Drew. I know I can. So we'll find out. Ricochet, Cedric Alexander against Brendan Vink and Shane Thorne. Uh, Thorne elbows Anderson or Alexander off the apron, and he crashes to the floor. Ricochet comes in, Rana off the top to Thorne. Then they start double-teaming Thorne, and Alexander hits a tornado DDT. Vink makes the save. Flying knee is delivered to Vink, and the finish gets thwarted. Uh, Alexander and Ricochet truck trying to hit it on Thorne. Thorne then takes out Anderson. I keep saying Anderson. With uh, Alexander with a cannonball, and it ends with a running boot by Brendan Vink, pinning Ricochet in 432. And they really put this win over with uh, with Vink getting the cover. Yeah, with Vink being the one that, that got the win. So it might suggest that they, they see him as, a, as the at least maybe the bigger star of the group as well. Um so the idea is that now with MVP's coaching, Vink and Thorne are a better team because this time they were able to beat these two. Um, I guess. Like, they didn't even put MVP out there with them. Yeah, but he, he quoted Miracle. Well, that must have obviously been the, the difference maker. That and the wrist tape. Sure, yeah. But maybe that's just his coaching method. You know, he'll, he'll like, quote a famous movie every week, and that'll like suddenly they'll just win the championship. Sure. Sounds like a sounds like a great idea. So we have another team in the mix here and um yeah, I wonder like where Ricochet and Cedric Alexander ultimately fit into this tag division cuz they were they were building them up for a time and now it seems like Vink and Thorn they're kind of giving more focus to. I mean, they really they were giving them airtime. They gave they give them like wins over jobbers, but at no point do they really build them up, you know, like they are at this level where they are a lot of fun, but I don't think they're a team to be taken seriously because they lose to, like, you know, the real serious teams, like the Viking Raiders. The Street Profits came out and cut a promo before their match. Dawkins talks about their history at the Performance Center. This is where they met, where they became brothers, and apparently we've been chasing the Viking Raiders since they got here. Well, tonight we get them. They promoted that next week Becky Lynch would be on the show to confront the Money in the Bank winner. They never once mentioned her appearance on Billions last night. Interesting. Well, again, like, could that be something, you know, due to them taping this last week? I mean, that that to me is a pretty easy insert. I think it's more so a fact that it's 
it's not a it's not an NBC show that maybe that was their hang up over it, but it just seemed a little odd. Like this, she got like notable press for this. And this is not some like nothing show either that she was on, um, and, and seemed to get a lot of praise for. It was just strange that they didn't make any mention of it. But anyway, the Street Profits and Viking Raiders uh, non-title match. We had uh, a long match between these two teams. Um, it included uh, Dawkins getting several hot tags during this match. Um, we fast forward near the end, and Ivar hits a handspring double back elbow onto both Street Profits. They go for the Viking experience, but it gets blocked, and Dawkins spears Eric as Ford avoids taking the power slam from Ivar and turns it into a DDT, and they set up Ivar with Ford hitting from the heavens. Eric drills him with a knee to break it up. Um, sorry, hits Dawkins with the knee. Ford gets sent to the floor, and then with Dawkins selling the knee, takes the Viking experience, and they pin the Street Profits in 16 minutes and 24 seconds. This is when I learned this was a non-title match. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I thought really good pace early on here, especially, like, anytime Ivar is in there, like, doing, like as a big guy doing, like, a fast style, he's really fun to watch in really any environment. And so I feel like whenever he's in there, it really survives this empty arena pretty well. But the match definitely went too long for the setting, too long given the lack of stakes involved. Um... I think like something that was half the time would have maintained a faster pace and I think would have left everybody with a better impression. It might have also left me wanting to see a rematch because this got to the point where I felt like it dragged, which definitely negatively affected my interest in seeing this again. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the story we got last week is that the Viking Raiders have beat these guys at every turn. They never lost the NXT tag titles to them and the Street Profits can't beat them. But this is a non-title match. Yeah, well, that's how they built the title challenges. All right, maybe that should just be the rule. You got you got to beat the champions twice, so that it's not a, it's not the, it can't it can't be a fluke scenario. Charlie is with Drew McIntyre and is asked about facing Murphy tonight, and he doesn't even know what his name is. He's like, "Buddy, Murphy, I don't even know his name. Does he?" He says Murphy is talented. But if he's willing to be sacrificed for his Messiah, and his Messiah is willing to sacrifice him, then who am I to deny the people a slaughtering? Yeah. Deep stuff from Drew McIntyre. The Viking Raiders are interviewed. It's not success, it's dominance. They respect the Street Profits, they even like them. But we're just better. And tonight, we extinguished the smoke. Yes. Yep. Yep. Alistair Black is backstage with a tape promo, and he asks AJ how it felt to be buried six feet deep, clawing for a way out, being swallowed by darkness. And he goes on to say, I'll tell you one thing it didn't do. It didn't make you more humble, because now you're talking about throwing me off a building on Sunday. And if you happen to throw me off this building, you better pray that I don't get back up because I'm going to climb that ladder, take that contract, and AJ will wish he was buried deeper than just six feet. So the man's very confident that 
falling off of this giant building is not a guarantee that it would kill him. They're really building up this, like, you know, falling off the building thing. That was, like, the hard push tonight is that someone might fall off this thing. Yeah, I mean, that really is the risk involved in having a match on a roof, isn't it? We know 400,000 plus of you signed up for free. And we know most of you probably are dropping your subscription this week. But you might miss a man falling off a building on Sunday. Well, listen, the precedent has been set for a wrestler falling off the roof and then surviving. Big Show should really be in this match he, they for should historical in- significance. They should interview him. Here's how you survive a fall off a building. Dude, he not only survived that, he came back for the main event that night. Obviously, Aleister Black was, you know, has uh, somebody to look up to for this match. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. Like, uh, it was nice to see Aleister Black back in the dark room cutting a promo. This time, they made some changes, though. Instead of sitting down, he's standing. <laughs> he stood here. Yeah. And then, like, instead of silence in the background, they put, like, they put, like, a Brian Eno ambient soundtrack on. Um, all changes that, I guess, I thought helped. You know what the problem is? I can't take a guy sitting seriously. You gotta be standing. That that was the problem. He was sitting. Um, problem solved. You gotta stretch. Stand. You gotta stand up every, like, 15 minutes. Standing desk. tiny down there. He got a standing, maybe he got a standing desk. Okay, after that, we got my favorite promo of 2020, Rey Mysterio. He starts talking about this Money in the Bank ladder match, this unique match that will happen and end on a roof. Yeah, I said roof. One bad decision, that's all I wrote. He's literally preparing for potential death on Sunday. It is the riskiest match of my career. I could die, but there's a briefcase, you see, and it contains a contract for a match anytime, any place. And my career is closer to the end than the beginning. In my head, I just swapped out the word career for life because that's what he was basically saying here is that, you know what? All of us are going to die eventually, so we've got to look at what we have left to live for. And this contract might qualify. He's unsure how many more title chances he has left in his career. It's risky, but the risk is worth the reward. <laughs> Ka-ching. Oh my God, dude. I, I, I watched this like multiple times. Oh this God. was just unbelievably great. You know, I will, I will say uh, if we're going to compare this to like Mandy Rose, I think Ray almost made it work. And I, I think that is the true sign of a talent, you know, of somebody who can effectively read these scripted promos in an effective manner. Um, One bad shit. decision, and that's all I wrote. <laughs> no, it's, I'm I'm going to be watching the show expecting somebody to, to like when when they, when they do it cinematic style. Really, they could do anything. You you really could have someone just fly off the roof with like some, um, you know. Um, get, get, get license out like cutting crew and you can just play uh, died in my arms as someone's just plunging off the roof and that's the final visual of the match they could be pushed off and then they could be floating back up onto the roof that is very possible they could grow wings 
But it wouldn't. It would be silly if they started to fly, but then didn't just fly to get the briefcase. Yeah, that's true. You would have to probably maybe someone saves them that's on wings. Like um, this hacker flies and comes to the rescue. Yeah, or the hacker fly. Um. I don't know. I'm just trying to see someone that that like has the the coordinates and is which hacker are you talking about? The guy on SmackDown. Oh, like that, like out the Ali thing. Yeah, he should. Yeah, he should come back with wings. Sure. All right. Well, this will be something on Sunday. I'm I'm intrigued. I'm very curious. Charlotte Flair came out and said, "I am the hardest working woman." In any industry. Okay. Right now? Really? Yeah. She is pulling double duty right now on Mondays and Wednesdays. She's facing Io Shirai this week. She then gave us a lesson in case you don't know who Io Shirai is. They they should have put her in a gauntlet match and introduced us to Io Shirai. Liv Morgan comes out and we got some awkward dialogue here where Morgan is referring to Char and says that she isn't here for Flair to take her seriously. She says she goes to say that she holds herself back from saying the word ass and did that terribly awkward, like catching yourself right before you're supposed to say this. So then she talks about Charlotte having her. Liv didn't have a dad to walk her to school and born with a silver spoon in her mouth, and sooner or later, I'll be champion. But not yet, because she's she hasn't figured her out her, herself yet. She's still figuring things out. Charlotte says, you don't know who you are, but I know who I am. I'm proud to be Ric Flair's daughter and have a silver spoon. And Liv ends up challenging her to a match. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Liv here was trying to do the... You know, like the John Cena ruthless aggression type of promo to Kurt Angle. You know, like that's her role. She's the babyface coming out here trying to challenge the person at the top of the mountain. But I, I found Liv's promo like a little heelish, not really consistent with I think the babyface character that she's been recently portraying. Um, she came out here basically like being totally ignorant of like Charlotte's credentials, resorting to. You know, the same tired criticisms of her being born with a silver spoon. When we're talking about Charlotte, who I think by this point any fan would recognize has repeatedly over and over defeated those criticisms. She's earned the respect of the crowd. And to hear like your baby face basically resort to like low hanging fruit to criticize, you know, this this heel, I feel like didn't make Liv look very sympathetic. Like I think a a baby face probably would have been Liv's coming out here and, and saying Charlotte, I really respect you. I respect all your credentials, uh, and I, you know, blah 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 blah. But, um, you know, you, I feel underestimated. And in order for me to move to my next chapter of my life, I need to beat you. Something like that. Instead, it was like it did not come across like she came here almost a little too cocky and almost just very dismissive. Um, and it didn't really make me want to cheer for her. So, what you would have preferred would have been a freestyle rap on Charlotte. Freestyle rap? Uh, John, she goes to the next generation of John Cena. Oh, yeah. And then she could come out as uh, Hulk Hogan. God, every week she goes through a new character because she's trying to find herself. 
It's well, just a wild, was, wild this millennial. Was, this was the next day. They taped this the next day. <laughs> um, no, they taped it the day. Oh, it was the same day? I think it was the same day. So, I mean, really, I, I, how do you go from last week where her last words were, I'm still trying to figure out my, who I am, to something like this? There's no flow between that and this. Well, it's, uh, you know, you can't, you, these millennials aren't, they're, they're unpredictable. I mean, as part of finding yourself, you could have easily said, I need to challenge the best. I need to challenge Charlotte Flair. But it just felt like there was real disconnect between last week and this. They ran a promo video for Jinder Mahal, ending with Jinder promising that he will go down as the greatest of all time. Okay. There's still time. Yep. Charlotte and Liv Morgan. Uh, Flair was controlling the match until Morgan came back and landed a Rana and stopped the clothesline. Um, Charlotte did, and then stomped her. They go through the commercial. Charlotte flips her over with an inverted triangle, and then Morgan gets up, landing a shining wizard, jawbreaker, comes off the ropes with the double knees to the face, and then goes for another Hurricane Rana, but this time Charlotte counters with a sit-out powerbomb. Morgan kicks out, and Flair then catches her off the turnbuckle, applying the Boston Crab, forcing Liv to get to the ropes. Morgan then scales the ropes into a code breaker off the turnbuckle for her big near fall. Sets up for oblivion, but Flair capitalizes and catches her as she misses running into the ropes and applies the figure eight for the tap out just under 12 minutes. I thought it was a good match. It didn't overstay its welcome. I thought it was thoroughly entertaining. You had the announcers, you know, afterwards putting over Liv Morgan as if this was a major performance. So I thought this was like the exact type of underdog performance you'd want from somebody answering an open challenge. I just didn't like the promo at the beginning. Um, but you know, the story I thought in the match was strong. Like this felt like it was a blue belt who just got her purple belt perhaps. And now she's improved feeling all, all the confidence in the world. And now she wants to challenge the black belt. Um, she's really though, to me, like impressed with how much she's progressed here. She was able to pull off some really ambitious, unique looking offense, including that code breaker off the turnbuckle. Mm -hmm. So like, she looks great. It's just the character that I think really needs work. Yeah. I mean, she, she is improved noticeably and it's also she's not going with like a conservative um style either mm -hmm. like yep. this is there's a large margin for error with with some of the like her ambitious stuff that could mm -hmm. look awful um but she has shown it and it's not just it's been smart as well pairing her with like the likes of natalia but we have seen it with like other opponents as well beyond charlotte beyond natalia that you know she has made concerted improvements and i think it's uh very noticeable mm -hmm. um yeah i i look forward to seeing like where she progresses because she's obviously someone that is kind of in that mix at the moment of you know pushed women on the raw side then uh to preview the big ladder match we got b-roll of wwe headquarters and then we made our way into the wwe headquarters cafeteria where there, in plain sight, was a bottle of sriracha. There, there you go. Yeah, sriracha mayo. Try it out. I've had a lot of people actually message me about oh that. Oh boy, actually. really? Yeah, yeah. Either trying it or like you know saying that they do it too. So, I'll, I'll, I'll. I really have to think about opening this restaurant. I, I, all my feedback was on the sleep app. Oh, really? Yeah. How are you doing, by the way? Uh, to be honest, I've for, I've forgotten to use it the last the last few nights. No, but um, come on, yeah, it's uh. Well, I'll, how I'll how get... are, how are other people doing? 
Have they been have they been sending you their reports? No, they were more so asking what the app was called. That's that's the kind of a uh, dialogue I get with people. Okay. I you know, I I'm excited for this match just to see like a tour of the of Titan Towers. I'm sure it's going to be really well put together. I mean, whatever they have to work with, I think they're going to turn it into something um entertaining. But I mean, um, I want to see I want to see the layout of these rooms. I want to see the offices. I want to see what the, the the type of shit they have in the walls. I want to see the gym. You know, the gym where they used to film those old vignettes. Are they going to get Paul's magic uh spray for the the entire headquarters? They might just demolish the thing right afterwards. Well, I guess they, well, they can't. No, they don't have a new one to go to yet. You're right. I'm uh, stuck with this one. Paul's magic spray it is then. That's Final how they mat- should market it, really. <laughs> um Drew McIntyre Murphy was our final match of the night. Seth Rollins was watching on the ramp. Drew's just destroying this guy until they go to the floor, and Drew is momentarily distracted. So Murphy got into some offense, sent him into the post, but then Drew immediately fights back. It seemed like they did not want Drew selling here for any prolonged period. It was mm-hmm. like pretty much Drew destroying this guy. Um, Murphy slid free and powerbombed him off the turnbuckle, and then Murphy goes to do the countdown but instead, Drew hears those numbers, and he it triggers the Claymore, and he catches Murphy and pins him in six minutes, nine seconds. Good little... I mean, I would even classify this really as a squash. And I think it's exactly what you want for Drew McIntyre. Like, he continues to just look like a total badass. You know, I, I love how they refuse to make him look weak. Like, it's it's so against their traditional booking of babyfaces. They are booking him like a babyface Brock Lesnar, and I I think that's something fresh. I I think that they're getting they're they're utilizing. It's not so much that it's um, yeah. I I see like the differences. Like they have tried this with like your babyfaces, but there's been so much pushback to it that we're not getting with Drew. And I think that Drew is like he really works in this in this role. Um, as like it's very tough to be like the ass kicking babyface that doesn't get um you know backlash from fans and right now all you can go with are kind of people that are watching the show from home but you really don't get that negative sentiment towards drew right now uh this is also like the this is the death segment on raw at the end like i think last last week's final quarter might have been the lowest in raw's history like that's the level that we're hitting by this final quarter of the third hour hmm interesting the music ends, and it's just silent. Drew is challenging Seth to come in the ring and fight him. He's getting on his knees, and Rollins just goes to walk out. So Drew turns his back. He's calling him a coward. When he turns around, back is Rollins, and he super kicks him. And they didn't cut to black here. It was Drew that got hit here with the super kick. And Rollins says that this is bigger than me and bigger than you. He stares at the title. He goes to pick it up. And then he goes for a stomp, but gets caught and hit with a Glasgow kiss. And Drew is getting ready to hit him with the Claymore. And Seth retreats and goes to the floor. Um, very, like, the the opposite of what you would expect in, the, like, your final segment here. It was, like, Drew getting the final word um, saved for the, the Claymore. Like, that's really his objective, is to beat this guy with the Claymore. But not not leaving him laying or anything like that to set up. Seth is uh, like this this threat. I mean, he's very much in the role of I am victim number one in the Drew McIntyre title run. 
Yeah, and it's it feels really out of place because again, it's so different from the type of booking that they they usually do for for baby faces. But I think it comes at a time like where the world is really sick of the Brock Lesnar type of thing. They're they're sick of baby faces just constantly looking weak and heels always, always, always getting heat. Um, it's 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 the timing of the character that I think makes it work right now. It it definitely is a little too bad that we don't have a crowd there to really validate whether or not this is working because it, it really does, you know, kind of feel theor- theoretical right now, whether or not he's really truly being accepted as a lead. So that was raw. Um, I just, I, I don't know. I, I think that these shows are getting tougher each week, um, but nothing's changing. It's, it's just really wearing thin to me. These, these matches. I found this one a little tougher than usual because I think some of the matches just really weren't that great. Um, you know, some of them are, are, are definitely pretty decent. Um, I, I enjoyed Morgan Charlotte. I enjoyed the main event. Um, but some of them definitely flirted with being too long. And I include the gauntlet match there. I include, uh, the street profits, Viking Raiders match. Um, and then talking seconds that I think weren't really that great for the most part. Yeah, it just seems everything is for Money in the Bank really focused just on the the ladder match concept, which I mean that is what you should be pushing as the big thing. Now, last week, way one million eight hundred and seventeen thousand viewers. Are you going higher or lower? Well, I learned my lesson. I think it's going to be lower this week. Um, I feel I'm going to say it. It stays even or above. Okay, I I think that they will avoid. Hitting a new you, low. You always want to make me look bad, don't you? No, I'm just. That's the uh, I'm, here. I'm giving you my thought. Um, but I, I can't honestly say. Like to be to be honest. Like, do you feel it was like bringing back AJ in the way in which they did? I don't quite understand what the value is in a surprise in this environment. You're forfeiting the surprise pop, and you're only taking away anything that might lure a viewer to come in and check something out for someone that's coming back. So I don't quite mm-hmm. understand why you keep saying, like, I understand the gauntlet in it, in and of itself. Like you can't really say, Hey, AJ's coming back next week to be the final entrant in the gauntlet, but come up with such a way you announce the participants and including uh, AJ Styles returns next week for the first time since the Boneyard match. I just I don't know what the value is of surprises in this setting. Well, even though they're not, there might not be a, a surprise pop in in the arena. I don't think you should really discount the surprise reaction with the audience or online. You know, oh my God, AJ Styles showed up this week. Um, I th- I still think there's some merit to that. You ultimately want to still make an entertaining show with the surprising moment here and there. I mean, we're also assuming AJ would make any sort of difference to the rating, which I don't think so. It's really been a month anyway. It would be one thing if you said AJ Styles uh, shows up from the dead and he's going to be uh, completely completely different. You're going to see the zombie version of AJ Styles. That might interest somebody, but if it was just AJ Styles showing up like this, I don't think that makes a difference. This is not going to be WWE AJ Styles. It's Mixer account AJ Styles, and he's going to be uh, open and honest about everything he's thinking. Sir, yeah, that would be that would be fresh. That would be different. 
All right. Well, we'll see what that raw number is. I would say if there, if it, if it continues to go down, um, there's going to be, um, yeah, we're we're hit, we're hitting we're hitting the bottom. All right. This is like a limbo. It's a game of limbo. How low can raw go? Tonight's feedback at forum.postwrestling.com. Do you think the show's getting a pass or a fail? Have you looked? Well, I've already looked. Yeah, um, a four point two. That's worse than the rating for Jerry Lawler's restaurant. Ooh. Well, let's see what Andrew from Cape Breton has to say. I could have sworn the Viking Raiders versus Street Profits was for the, for the tag titles. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention, but the Raiders going on about how the Street Profits never beat them. Maybe I just assumed they would get a title match. The show was okay tonight. The gauntlet match made me think, why are we bringing in some of these people? I hope Shelton Benjamin didn't have to travel to Raw from far away. Poor Akira Tozawa apparently fights for the jobber title on NXT based on his treatment on Raw. Lastly, this was brought up last week, but the dialogue they give Liv Morgan makes me believe the writers should not exist in wrestling. I'd rather see someone screw up what they were supposed to say off the top of his head than have someone read their badly scripted lines perfectly. Five out of ten show. Now to that, I would counter that there has also been a lot of good promos that we have seen of late. And I would say that not all of them I would categorize as ones that are just going out there, um, even ones with bullet points, that it's often the bad promos that get the spotlight. And yet when we're talking about um, Sonya Deville with Mandy yeah. Rose, mm-hmm. I mean, that to me, that that was a fantastic segment and got a lot of praise. Uh, deservedly so. Absolutely. we got Alex from Portland who says, what a non-situation Lana, Lana is in. She enters into an angle where she gets with Lashley and makes up with him in front of Rusev, her real-life husband. Rusev loses the feud and gets released Meanwhile, Lana's services are seemingly seemingly no longer wanted by Lashley. I'm curious what the end result of this story is. One story I thought was done was Edge and Orton. I'm sure both men want to put on a better match than what they had at Mania, but it feels far too early to go back to that. Liv is, Liv is improving, tag matches were good, and we have reasons to tune in next Monday. I really hope we get a spot next Sunday where Harnswoggle tries to climb a ladder but is grabbed by Corbin, stuffed in a pillowcase, and tossed off the roof. My question... It seems silly that WWE built a ring on top of their headquarters for just one match, or is it two? Could you see WWE holding an entire pay-per-view on their roof? If they're really wanting to capture the interest of network subscribers, the first all-ever roof pay-per-view might do the trick. Uh, That's not happening. Yeah, I I can certainly see them building a ring on top of their headquarters for just one match. Adam, this show was going along at a pace that made me question my viewing habits. Then, at around 10.10 Eastern Time... The heavens opened up. A man wearing a necklace resembling the Deathly Hollows from Harry Potter was not in his room, but appeared as if out of thin air. What did he say? I could not care less. All I know is that tonight in the post office, one man will be allowed to achieve greatness. Like Jordan on the floor in Monte Carlo in 1992, John Pollock will display why he is the alpha amongst males, among, the alpha amongst alphas, when he gets to recite the words spoken by Aleister Black. By the time this is being read, he would have already shown Tony Kukoc why the duo known as Pollock and Ting are the greatest parts of Monday nights. Well, I think I definitely let you down. I wasn't as inspired with the uh, the Alistair Black promo. I thought I thought it was much more. I I, it as always. It was just like another promo. Um, He asks, "What was the greater event to happen in the Georgia Dome in 1998? Jordan's last game in Atlanta with the Bulls, or Goldberg Hogan on Nitro later that year?" Mind you, Jordan had 34 points that night and shot 500 from the field. Uh, I don't know. Well, we, uh, 
I would say Jordan's Jordan's last game with the Bulls would carry much more uh, cultural significance. All right, then. We have Jordan Yates, who says, We have gathered here today to discuss Raw. I get the feeling the writers feel it, too, but this is a chore to sit through each week, and thank you guys for doing so. AJ was a nice surprise in the match tonight, and now he's added to the match on Sunday. I could see him winning. I feel like WWE missed an opportunity not to have Andrade in Money in the Bank, given his little feud with McIntyre over the past month. What is more likely to bounce back, the people coming back to the arenas or the ratings for WWE? Um, sorry, the people or ratings, which one will come back first? Oh, um, I think it's, I think it's going to be a, a, like the, once they, like, let's just say three months from now that they're three months is probably being way too conservative. Um, probably be a lot longer than that, but regardless of the time frame, when, when arenas are open again, um, I, I think it's going to take a while for this audience to just magically come back on for television viewership uh, and at arenas. I think that it's like, if we're talking about months of raw, like 1.8 million is not going to be the floor. If we're talking six more months of these empty arena shows, it will go lower and it's not just going to be flip a switch. And suddenly we're doing 2.4 million each Monday. Um, That's going to take a long time. And I, I do wonder about like that, that long of an effect. And I would say that when they are able to do that first show, I think you build it up to be the biggest show imaginable that you can possibly do that. It's treated like your raw 1000 or something huge. And it has to be more than just all the legends from the past. Like, I think you have to build this thing up as like a gigantic, gigantic show um, for raw and SmackDown that week. And I I would say like the focus needs to be television more so than your pay-per-views more than anything. I think you have to really look at rebuilding your television audience because it's, it's going to take a lot to break the new habits of people finding other things to do on Mondays and Fridays that they're obviously doing right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it'll take time either way. And I think it'll be helped by any sort of significant events you already have in the schedule. SummerSlam at this point, is certainly in doubt, and um, I don't know if places will be open by then. But you know, beyond SummerSlam, what is sort of, sort of like what is the next big, I would say, mainstream show that they have? It might be the Royal Rumble. You, we might have to be you know waiting all the way until a, a moment like that for really things to pick up. It might even be as long as next year's WrestleMania cycle. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you, I think for the live event attendance, I think it's. I think it's very likely that when arenas open, it's it's not going to be at a hundred percent capacity. I think you're you're not going to see that. And I think like Vince McMahon was right on the call that they have to really look at slashing ticket prices um, significantly. I would say just to get people in the door. Um, you don't want to scare people off with with um, high ticket prices um, if you're trying to attract them to come back for the live event experience. Sure. Last one here is Matt. He writes, I'm not sure if I'm suffering from the Mandela effect because I swear I remember Ricochet winning the United States title from Samoa Joe and later beating Seth Rollins and Bobby Lashley to challenge for the championship. Now all I see is a jobber who lost to Brock Lesnar in spectacular fashion, was moved to main events, and then came back to Raw to be pinned by Brendan Ving... Oh, sorry, moved to main event, the show, and then came back to Raw to be pinned by Brendan Vink. I'm at a loss for words. Well, well, again, it helps if you can forget about all that for Ricochet. 
Um, and just think about Ricochet as this debuting young wrestler who has, uh, you know, struggled and fought hard his way from main event. Now he is making his raw debut as part of the brand new tag team with Cedric Alexander. If you watch it under that lens, uh, you can enjoy his performances with a lot more optimism. Because certainly if you think about the potential of what he could have been and where he was at even, considering, you know, um, the limited level he was at even before that, and you're watching this now, it's it's tough. He's really starting from the bottom. I mean, he could be, he could have been um, defined by his height with a new gimmick. So, I mean, there's there's that. Yeah, do you think when he, like, when is Chad Gable supposed to come back and do you think he'll, he'll probably still have the gimmick? Wouldn't he? I, I can't, I can't imagine there, he, he would not have the gimmick. Hmm. Okay. Uh, last thing before we get out of here. Did you watch any of The Last Dance this weekend? I did. Um, I did not watch. With, with trepidation. I did not watch the episodes that other people probably watched. Oh, what are you talking about, Wayne? Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a week ahead of everybody else, so I'm sorry. I, I, like, if you were to ask me, you can jog my memory about what I saw a week ago, but I'm not going to have very deep analysis. I would say of of the two episodes from this weekend, I would say the highlights would have been, or, or like the main things focused upon, um, off the top, the the opening minutes uh, with Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. I thought mm. that was like really something, and even more interesting, the fact that they did not they they finished editing that sequence like ten days before Kobe died, and they did not change anything about that other than they added the in memory of at the beginning. So. That was not something that was, you know, put together in hindsight after Jordan spoke at his funeral or with any of that. That was done while Kobe was still alive, that scene. Right, right. That 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 is uh pretty incredible and um yeah, very sad. Um you know, David Stern too appears in this documentary and what seems, right. seems like fresh interviews. Yep. So, um I I guess it just kind of tells you how really just adds to the significance of this of this documentary. Yeah, th- this goes through the 92-93 season where they beat the Suns in in the finals and it's sort of the first episode is kind of the rise of Michael Jordan as this commercial commodity and in demand by everyone and then the next episode is more so the reality of being in that spotlight and being under that that pressure that he's feeling. And I thought it was a very uh, poignant scene where he's in his hotel room on the couch and you can see this dude has just had it with this and he is ready to be done. Um, And that's, you know, it's an interest. It's interesting to watch the, the camera crew that's following him around and the, the life that these, like once you reach this level, what your life becomes and, it's almost this – the public believes that when you are of this level and you are making this money, you are – you work for us. And it's – it's a, it really is an analysis of like how uh, celebrities and celebrity athletes, like how they are handled. Absolutely. Yeah, that part – all this stuff I, I find – I mean I think that's what makes this documentary so fascinating is because we're talking not just about a sports athlete – we're talking about one of the biggest celebrities like in modern history. And, you know, what I think is so incredible is how somebody is able to manage 
that level of attention, that level of fame, and that level of expectation while still managing to over-deliver on expectations for, like, you know, the better part of an entire decade. Um, to see, like, the stuff with Nike I found really fascinating. I mean, you know, just the the amount of impact the band's hat has had, not just on sports, but really, like, on, on, on youth culture, on, like, fashion even, is is really cool. The stuff with the Dream Team I thought was really interesting as well. Um, again, Poor Isaiah, man. Isaiah just getting, uh, man. You mean I, I think I think Jerry. I, I think Isaiah Thomas has grown into like the villain of the series, way above Jerry Krause. Uh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think you're exposing. You know the the um, the snub. Is that what they call it? Like when he didn't shake their hand. Well, the the handshake, and then yeah. he gets left off the dream team, and yeah. Uh, Wait a second, but I mean the dream team. I feel like people you you almost sympathize with with Isaiah for that. Oh, I'm I'm just saying like he's he's very much just presented as like the foil of Michael Jordan. Like it's um I, I think that there's a lot that you can um, feel sympathy towards Isaiah Thomas, and I think he is like a underappreciated player for his part. And I also went and watched that that thirty for thirty on Bad Boys, the, uh, Bad Boys and mm-hmm. it's. It's excellent. Like, it's such a great um, add-on to this series. It's like two hours on that Pistons dynasty. And there's such a... It's interesting that we look at, the like, the major dynasties from, like, the Celtics to the Lakers to the Bulls. Mm-hmm. And it's like you just have this period where people just don't look at the Pistons at all during this time. And, man, were they an entertaining team that you understood why so much of the league totally hated these guys. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting to see that grudge like still last at least, you know, from watching some of these interviews. Um yeah, and ju- just getting back to like the media side and it's like I it was always something that I felt like just being around specifically like a George St. Pierre or like the largest of these MMA fighters and seeing firsthand what the the obligations of the job that would be where Fight week, like an Anthony Pettis who's fighting Saturday in Las Vegas is flown to Toronto to come do a whole batch of media interviews. And I'm just saying, like, this guy's cutting weight. And it's like, yes, there's the part, like, this is a part of the job. But it's also one where I look at, is this the most logical thing to be doing in terms of, like, I completely understand when... Media outlets get turned down for interviews. Like you can't just put these people in front of every single outlet and these people are turned into robots. And there's no doubt why so many people hit that burnout factor. And we look at them and be like, oh man, they've really got an attitude now or they've turned on the media. It's like, no, these people are going through ungodly lives at this point where they are just going on fumes and... Um, you know, there's, there's not going to be a whole ton of sympathy for people in these positions, but I certainly have some. Well, I certainly felt like, you know, and, and this might even be more the case in, in the later episodes, but I certainly felt like this, much of this documentary was Jordan's critique on the media and how the media, you know, um, treated him to, uh, at certain parts and with, with the, ga- the gambling stuff that they they go into it more than i thought that they would in this and the stuff even like you know how it relates to to his father's death and um yeah like we're, it, we're not there yet <laughs> yeah anyway this this stuff in the later later episodes i mean i've i really found much of this to be a critique on 
the media's treatment of like celebrities and, and athletes and, uh, you know, specifically Jordan himself. Um, and it really you and I working as part of this, certainly like I had several thoughts watching this about my responsibility when I do a show like this, certainly on a much smaller scale, of course, than, you know, something like, you know, Michael Jordan had to deal with, but like, um, you know, I, I constantly ask myself like, Hey, like what, what impact are the words that I'm saying? What impact do, do they have? How, uh, you know, what is my role in, in trying to number one, be as honest and, and, and thoughtful in my critique as possible while at the same time being fair, uh, to, you know, what's going on in these people's lives. How often are we forced to say something simply because we have airtime to fill versus when we, us actually having to say something because we truly believe something. Um, because you know, it's, there are certain moments here, like where I felt like it was people either trying to gain attention or trying to capitalize on just, you know, the conversation in order to say something outlandish. And we certainly see that now in all forms of, of media. But anyway, it's, it, it's a really interesting conversation, uh, especially for people like you and I. Yeah. So those are some highlights from, uh, from those two episodes. So we've got what, four more left that uh, you, you, you less, but four, four more left. Ten, still to ten air. Total. Yes. Hey, and uh, Sunday night, we've got the last ride debuting oh how appropriate wow we have the last dance and the last ride yeah they're running this uh, undertaker documentary part one will be sunday after money in the bank well to be fair taker had the last ride first well actually no the last dance came before that um they i phil, think, phil jackson created the last dance well he named it i guess yeah. the, the documentary project started later in 2017 whereas the undertaker thing like apparently it like they started filming that before WrestleMania in 2017, so I don't know uh, if that had I, I had a working so talking, title. I was more so talking about the name of the move. Oh well, oh I see what you mean. Right, yeah. I was just looking at the the documentary projects itself, but right, the uh, Phil Jackson would have predated uh, the Undertaker's uh, power bomb, power yeah. bomb. So there uh, you have it. The the Taker thing looks incredibly fascinating as well. Yeah, I look forward to watching it and talking about that next week. Yeah, we'll probably talk about that on Monday's show um, after part one airs and everyone gets a chance to see that. So lots of shows coming out. We've got a show out every day this week. So there's going to be plenty of us to hear from Tuesday. Check out the Up Next feed for the the review of uh, Lost. Uh, the pilot, is it the first two episodes? It's the pilot, yeah. Episodes one and two. You can leave your feedback right now at forum.postwrestling.com. And Way and I will be back Tuesday night with Ask Away going through the mailbag. So go check out all of that stuff, and we'll speak with you then.